This is Al Rivera, lead designer of Star Trek Online, and you're listening to Cardi One Podcast. Bandwidth for Priority One Podcast is brought to you by Playa Escondida. Ever dreamed of visiting Planet Risa? Well, Playa Escondida is the ultimate beach resort excursion. Visit PlayaEscondida.com to book your ultimate vacation getaway. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains, and you're listening to episode 145 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast, recorded on Thursday, October 10th, 2013, live on trekradio.net, and available for download or streaming on Monday mornings at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Tony. All right, Tony, tell us what we've got in store this week. Well, this week we trek out one or two questionable marketing tie-ins with our beloved franchise. In Stone News this week, we take a look at the new Avenger-class Battlecruiser and the latest Season 8 dev blogs, Numbers 2 and 3. This episode, we have a very special Field Notes segment with a first look at the new Avenger-class Battlecruiser. Get the basics from our resident experts on how best to set up this latest ship of the line. Later in the show, we'll open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming from you, our listeners. Captain's Priority One Podcast survives only by your generous real-world donations. Visit PriorityOnePodcast.com for more information on how you can help keep this show moving forward. Splatter Studios continues to produce some amazing Trek-inspired canvas art. Actual paint on actual canvas. Visit PriorityOnePodcast.com for information on how you can get your hands on a one-of-a-kind piece of Trek art. Tony, did you see that three-piece Klingon with the galaxy? I did, and we one of our helpful uh, uh, members of the community pointed out on Facebook that uh, we have an incorrect labeling on that three-piece one. Uh, I think it's labeled as an ambassador class versus a bird of prey. I believe it might actually be a galaxy. It is a galaxy. It is a galaxy. He's not... The most diehard Trek fan. I egged him on to do these because I thought that we had several listeners that would be interested in something like this. So so you'll have to pardon these little slip-ups. But the art, nonetheless, is still phenomenal. All right. Well, let's get ready to Trek It Out. Jump what places. I don't know. Then let's Trek It Out. And now, from the Gene Roddenberry spinning in his grave file... Star Trek Delivery Drivers. That's right, folks. If you live in NYC or San Fran and want to have someone run a sub-$35 errand that you're too busy to run yourself, you can hire a company called TaskRabbits to do your dirty work. And if you're very, very lucky, you'll get that order for free and done by a TaskRabbit in a JJ Trek Starfleet uniform thanks to a special promotion they're running. You see, it's all very natural. When I think, man... I really need someone to pick up a gallon of milk and then put together this Ikea desk. I totally envision a Starfleet officer 
beaming down from the astrometrics lab to the 7-Eleven, then hopping a shuttlecraft over to my house, then pulling a 4-millimeter Allen wrench from his space fanny pack and knocking that bad boy out. Am I right? Am I right? Yeah, yeah. Well, the only way this could be better is if the whole thing was sponsored by General Electric's Deep Sea Diving Power Systems Division. Like, like if they could sort of tie it into, yeah, I don't know, I don't know, a YouTube video with John Cho as Sulu on the bridge of the Enterprise, crying out for more power and, and getting GE's newest submersible generators online. I mean, I mean, what marketing genius wouldn't love that? Right, totally. Okay, all right. You know what? You know what? Never mind. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I shouldn't be so sarcastic and, and negative. I mean, it could be so much worse. I mean, I mean, it's not like it's like Paramount and JJ are using our beloved vision of a post-consumerism sci-fi quasi-utopia to promote some kind of, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know, Japanese air freshener spray or, or something like that. Oh, wait. That link will be in our show notes, too. You know... This is I don't understand what's happening because GE also did this with The Matrix. Uh-huh. And Back to the Future. Why are they being allowed to poo-poo on the franchises that we all love? It's not poo-poo. It's just their joke. These people in suits are like, "Hmm, how can we be more relevant?" And this summer intern's like, "I don't know, like make it Back to the Future or something." And he's and they're like, "Brilliant. I want a 14 million dollar budget and uh, contact all the movie companies and get the rights. Do it. I want it on my desk by Thursday." I just, you know what bothered me most about about the GE one? They actually hired Hugo Weaving yeah. to act as Agent Smith. Yeah. And it just hurt me. It hurt me because Agent Smith is such a great villain. They got John Cho to be Sulu. That's uh, not Agent Smith, though. Agent Smith oh. has been nominated several times as being one of the best film villains of all time. He's good. I agree. For them to use him in, in, a, in a commercial about networking is just bleh. It's just one of those things where it's like, well, we need some recognizable thing and we'll connect our high-tech brand to this high-tech movie property that people think is high-tech and then our high-tech will meet their high-tech and it'll be all high-tech together and we'll sell a submersible power generator. This was brought to us by um, Ben Weiss, right? Ben brought the tech rabbits angle to it. And then uh, Elliot, our very own Elliot Tan, uh, brought us the Japanese air freshener. Which really has to be seen to be believed. Like many Japanese commercials are more or less ridiculous, but it just it just sort of kind of hurts to see Star Trek stuff being used to sell air freshener and submersible power generators. Man, how, that's just as bad as them using Klingons in the new iPhone commercials. Now, it's not. I mean, you see like a Klingon for like half a second, right? Whatever. It's still a, a Klingon in an iPhone commercial, and actually. I think that that was a bit of a jab because clearly Android is the greater Star Trek fan. Oh, yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, there you go. Google is the greater Star Trek. Android is the way of the future. Open source. That's right. It's it's JJ Trek Trek, whose bridge looks like an Apple store. But, I mean, for instance, the Google Voice, the whole Google Voice command thing was was codenamed Majel for a while because they're all Trekkies over on the Google. Well, their stated goal, actually Google's stated goal, is to have the interface like the Star Trek library computer where you ask it a question and it gives you an answer. Well, a big thanks to Ben Weiss for bringing a few of these to our attention. Captains, if you've discovered something you think the rest of our listeners would enjoy hearing about, then send it over to us via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Let's check out what happened in Star Trek Online News. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Our first piece of Star Trek Online news is Season 8, Death Blog Number 2. According to S. Walrus, lead environment artist for Star Trek Online, the first challenge in building a Dyson Sphere was 
wrapping their minds around the size and scale of this environment. After all, they needed to figure out what the sphere looked like, who built it, and how they would have constructed it. According to Walrus, in the early stages of development, they looked at a lot of Arabic geometric designs for inspiration, playing with the idea that the builders would construct everything with mathematical harmony. The concept artists played around with several ideas of how they would have constructed the sphere out of sectional pieces and squares, rectangles, or polyangular shapes. I've got to say, from the pictures that we've been seeing uh, coming from Tribble, the the cute event, it looks gorgeous, and we were talking about this last week. I'm really looking forward to getting my ship inside a Dyson Sphere. They had to eventually reject that approach but because it just didn't look right when they got in the game, but I like the idea of them trying to get in the heads of some other species and figure out, okay, well, they're going to start from somewhere, and they're going to go to the Dyson Sphere, so where do they start from? And you know, Imagine a new technology or imagine a new civilization evolving into a Dyson Sphere technology. I thought that was a good... Uh, it's good to get in their heads like that because they're taking it seriously, and I enjoy that. All right. Season 8, Dev Blog number 3, we are privy to a Klingon intelligence file that offers a tactical analysis of the Voth and their latest sort of in-character attempt to get us uh, ready for the uh, Season 8 Dyson Spheres. According to the intelligence file, the Voth are not a species Klingons want to engage without a significant chance of gain. The diplomatic options are limited, possibilities of an alliance are low, and the battles will be hard fought. The dev blog is an introduction to the Voth for those of you who may not remember them from their appearance on Voyager, or those of you who haven't gotten to watch Voyager yet, or those of you that don't want to watch Voyager at all. It's speculated that the Voth are actually descendants of our own prehistoric dinosaurs that escaped the cataclysmic event that wiped them out. However, they're technologically advanced and believe themselves to be superior to most species. All right, Captains, we had a spitfire of dev blogs with Legacy of Romulus, dev blogs number 46, 47, and 48, introducing to us the latest ship of the line, the Avenger-class battlecruiser. This newly commissioned Avenger-class starship, this battlecruiser, is certainly something we haven't seen before, and a welcomed addition to ships offered to Captains. We'll save most of our review for our first look in this episode's field notes segment, but let's go ahead and talk about some of the basics. You're looking at the C-Store model having a hull strength of 37,500 with a shield modifier of 1. Uh, your bridge officer stations are looking at one ensign tactical, so one tactical power, one lieutenant commander tactical, so three powers, one commander engineering, so four engineering powers, one lieutenant science, so two science powers, and one lieutenant universal two powers of your choice. This ship boasts plus 10 power to weapons as well as plus 10 power to engines. Now, the fleet version of the ship, which was announced simultaneously, has a hull strength of 41,250 and a shield modifier of 1.1. In addition to introducing this newly commissioned ship, we are also introduced to the latest cruiser controls. This ship comes with three specific strategies. The first being shield frequency modulation, uh, which boosts the shield regeneration rate and shield hardness of the cruiser. The second is weapon system efficiency that reduces power drain from weapons by 25% for the cruiser. The third is attract fire, which increases the threat generation. Your threat generation increases while 
your allies' threat generation decreases so that you take most of the damage. Now, the ship is designed uh, to be a, a hard hitter. It's designed to be a tank with a slight bit of a cannon edge. So, in other words, it's slow to move, but can equip cannons. It's slower than an escort, but it's got a pretty good turn rate for a cruiser. I, uh... I was I'm impressed with its maneuverability, and I only tested it with the with the uh, base options, uh, just the standard impulse engines, the Mark Ten or whatever it comes with. It turns pretty good for for a cruiser. I found that the base has a bit of a drift to it, more so than I would like. And you, but you are right, you're all right. It's not a whale. It's not a whale. And me personally, I, I like my escort. I you know I, Elliot. <laughs> uh, I know Elliot also got his hands on it today, and uh, he's not a fan of its looks because it's got a bit of a boxy look. It's got a square. Uh, deflector dish. It looks armored. It looks armored. I, I I like how it looks. It looks mean. It looks like a little. It looks like a tank. Yes, it does. It looks like a tank. But we'll save our review for our field note segment. We want to introduce you to the ship and offer you some guidance on how best to configure this ship when you get your hands on it from the sea store. So stay tuned for that. One other little point that came up. Uh, my son. Uh, was very excited about the Avenger class, and then I told him it was called the Avenger class, and he gave me this funny look. And I said, what's the problem? He goes, there's already an Avenger class in the game. I said, what? He goes, yeah, Star Cruiser. And when I looked, and he was right. There was a Star Cruiser in the game. One of the Star Cruiser variants is called the Avenger class. Well, then I go check today after the show notes. Oh, the Star Cruiser is now the Sentinel class. But they forgot a thing. I, I took a screenshot of this a little while ago, but they have forgotten to change the tooltip text inside the shipyard. But they need to go back in and fix the uh, tooltip notes for the Avenger class or the Star Cruiser class in the shipyards. So uh, they're they're doing a little bit of retconning there, but they missed something, and I want to I want to give kudos to my 11 year old. I, I was proud of him. I'm raising a true Star Trek nerd. All right, moving on. Let's get into uh, this week's patch notes, shall we? Let's do that. Uh, a couple of things. First of all, the Foundry, apparently, they've been exploiting the Foundry again. Those naughty, naughty Foundry exploiters have found other ways to get around the system. We've already seen the Delithium rewards time-gated, and then they limited them to a once-per-hour reward possibility for the Foundry. And now, apparently, people have figured out a way to game the time and mission requirement uh, being for being eligible for Foundry rewards. So the team has once again had to play whack-a-mole with the people trying to exploit the Foundry. So it's an ongoing tr- uh, challenge for them to keep doing that over and over again. And I, for one, would just love for them to, number one, just publish the stupid algorithm. Because then all of us who don't want to cheat the system but want it to work can go attack it. You know, right now what's going on is that they're keeping it all secret and stuff. And only the people that want to nail Cryptic to the wall or get over and above what the rewards ought to be, they're the ones that are going in, figuring out the exploit, and then implementing the exploit and then cryptic watches their numbers and they just oh god we got to do it again because you know we look at our charts and there's this tail and edge case and like all these people are exploiting it and uh, now we got to do it why don't they just open it up and just say here's our algorithm uh everybody go pick it apart because then not only the people who want to exploit it and you know, get the extra rewards I'll go after it, but also the people that would like to see the Foundry become something, oh, I don't know, useful. Something that's going to be an integral part of the gameplay and the economy and something that people can go play and enjoy, whether they want pew-pew missions like you and Elliot, or if they want great stories like me, 
um, you know, let everybody take a crack at this thing. There are a ton of smart people out there. I mean, we were just talking before the show, Elijah. You know, you're saying, oh, yeah, we're going to do an interview with somebody uh, to do the adventure. And you named off like three or four people. They're all, and they're all people who have been on the show before, and they're all smart people that look into the system and get down to the weeds and this stuff and look at the numbers. Those are the kind of people we need looking at these algorithms to see what what can be done, you know, what, what kind of cheating could go on. And, and, I, and I understand from a business standpoint that that's a really bad idea, you know, to sort of, well, now if we just throw it open. But, you know, it's going to happen anyway. And it, time and time again, that's been proven. They, they fix it, and then somebody goes and exploits it. And then they got to fix the exploit. And then somebody figures out a way to exploit that. Let's just take a shortcut. Let's just get it out there and make it open to everybody to exploit as they wish. And let's crack down on it all together. Because there's a lot of smart people in this community, and I think if we open it up to everybody, especially the people whose incentive is not to cheat, but to stop the cheating altogether and to make it really airtight. So I... You know, get let the white hats have a crack at it. The black hats, they're not going away ever. Let's let the white hats have a crack at it too. So, and also the and speaking of the cheaters and the black hats and the white hats, we had something interesting come up across Redshirt the day after we recorded our show. The day after we had a feedback discussion about AFK moochers and leechers and in uh, STFs and stuff. Well, on Redshirt they posted an AFK penalty. Yes, I, we saw this. This actually was brought to my attention via Twitter. Even Brandon was like, "Oh, watch out! This is this. Yeah, watch out." He pretty much said, "This was uh, this was intense. This was and very well received. People really were glad to see that this had uh, finally hit testing, live testing, where people can get their hands on yeah. it." Yeah, and then today's patch they postponed it. So Brandon actually tweeted about this, and and his tweet was mind blown. And Cold snapped from Cryptic Studios had written what uh, the general gist of it, which is. Players at AFK in a queue map will now receive the following penalty. Zero rewards for the event. A two-hour cooldown on the ability to queue for any event. These changes are in the process of being implemented on all queued maps. So that's that's pretty, you know, that's a first step. They're clearly listening, and they're clearly doing something about those AFKers. I'm sure that there's a lot of tech going on behind the scenes that are preventing this from actually hitting either triple or holodeck but at least we know that there's something there and we should be seeing it in the coming weeks well yeah people have been grunching about it for months you know for as long as the queue system has been in place actually i mean and so it's nice to see something's finally happening one interesting thing i saw from one of the developers comments was that their their goal is a zero false positive meaning that the algorithm they put in place uh will not catch anyone who's actually playing maybe just not playing very well. Um, the example they used was if you're bumping up the edge, uh, bumping up against the edge of the sector space, you know, you get that red box where it says, you know, Captain, we can't go any farther. Um, if you do that, then that's a pretty clear indication that you're away from the keyboard and they're going to nail you for the penalty. But there's a lot of other situations where, you know, you might be helping the team but maybe not doing a lot of damage or maybe not moving very much or maybe going really slow or you know, you may jump into something with a with a team that you made, and then say, "Oh God, I got to go do this thing, guys. Can you carry me?" And they'll say, "Sure," and your team's fine with it, but you might get hit with the AFK penalty. So, I one of the commenters suggested that maybe there should be a combination of nominating somebody to be an AFKer, and then the algorithm could validate that nomination, or the algorithm. 
identifies it and then starts asking everybody, is this person AFK? And then the rest of the team has to hit yes or no. Yeah, I, that would be good, too. That, that would work, too. But a combination of a human intervention with your teammates and the algorithm checking it out, that would be ideal. Or the person who is being flagged as AFK and is about to be penalized gets a message. And if I'm really playing, I'm going to go, oh, no, no, no. And then you hit something like submit for vote, and then everybody gets it, it trickles out to the rest of the team. Yeah. See, that works, too. But some combination of a human interface with the other players in the team with a background algorithm, which is, I'm going to harp on this again, which is kind of what I want for the Foundry, too. I mean, I want some way for the algorithm to catch things and then it to be verified by the community, whether it's on the economic side of stuff where the developers put data out on the Foundry screen going, this is the average time, this is the number of interactions, this is the number of DPS, is this thing worthy of foundry rewards and can be upvoted or downvoted you know but more data from the game to the player is i think ideal all right well that wraps up star trek online news for this week let's take out the avenger for a shakedown cruise around the block with this episode's field note segment i'm sure there is an answer well better get some facts and joining us this episode is Epsilon with a very unique look at the new Avenger Battle Cruiser that just hit the Sea Store on Thursday, October 10th. Very many people are excited about this ship. There's been a lot of buzz about it. And we wanted to give captains a first look at the ship with an outline of how best you can lay out the Avenger class. Epsilon, thank you so very much for joining us uh, this episode again. It's a pleasure to be here. All right, let's talk about the Avenger-class ship. Tell us, what makes this ship attractive? Is it the hull? Is it the ability to cloak or load cannons? The new consoles? Well, the cloaking ability is always a welcome option to have on a ship, although I would say that the cloaking device under most circumstances isn't useful for the player. Lots of people who are used to playing Romulans at this point, love their battle cloaks, being able to come in and out, but uh, this cloak is your traditional style. You have to be out of red alert in order to activate the cloak, and still have a 15-second cooldown if you're going to be trying to activate the cloak after using it. You will get a little bit of extra burst damage, and if you're using your Romulan operatives in your tactical slots, you will be in good shape to get that extra bonus damage out. But in most conditions, other than PvP, I would generally recommend against using the cloak on this ship. What about the new console that comes with the ship? Well, the new console, the Variable Auto-Targeting Armament, or Avada for short, is a console that creates two targetable projectiles, much like bioneural warheads, except instead of shooting off antiproton-style energy damage, it fires off two different types of kinetic damage or a type of tachyon damage based on what cruiser communications ability you're using on your ship, in this case the battlecruiser or the fleet battlecruiser. This Vada can only be used on those two varieties of ships, so you'll have to figure out where you want to put it, generally an engineering or science slot, because you're going to be busy using your tactical slots for doing a lot more damage. These projectiles will fire off their own mini projectiles. In the case of the weapons mode, you'll be firing off quantum, you'll be firing off chronoton projectiles if you're using the movement enhancer, or if you're boosting your shields, you'll be taking down your enemy shields a little bit faster with its tachyon projectiles. 
Like the Bionero Warhead, which has a one minute cooldown, for these two projectiles you'll be getting a two minute cooldown. When you want to use them, make sure that you're firing out of your front 90 degree arc. Alright, now, what separates the Sea Store base version from its fleet upgrade? Well, when you buy the Sea Store version, the 2500 Zen version, you get access to the Vada console. When you buy the fleet version, you have access to a second science console, 10% more base hull and shields. I'd say, generally speaking, fleet is your better option. It lets you get a little bit of extra survivability, not that you need it. The cruiser is actually surprisingly sturdy for the amount of damage that it puts out. Uh, you also get an extra cosmetic option. You have the ability to have more flat pylons rather than the upward sweeping pylons of the base version. Either one that you get, you'll be able to turn off the nacelle fins, which was a uh, very welcome bonus to be able to have that cosmetic option going on. Really wish that there were more neck options, but uh, I'll take what I can get. Now, let's go into the specific rundown of at least the three that are on the new Avenger class, because that's the only one that we've been able to get our hands on. Certainly. The three commands that we're going to go over are the Weapon System Efficiency, the Shield Frequency Modulation, and the Strategic Maneuvering commands. Weapon System Efficiency reduces your energy drain on weapons by 25%, which means that if you're firing off a beam broadside with eight different beams, you're only using effectively the uh, weapons power pullout of it that you'd have from firing six beams, which makes beam broadsiding a lot more viable with all beams rather than uh, having to throw in a projectile in there or the experimental beam array that doesn't draw any weapons power. The shield frequency modulation boosts your own and allies' shield resistance, making your shields take a little bit less damage. The strategic maneuvering is the only one that diminishes over distance. It gives you an increased turn rate and speed, but uh, if your allies aren't as close to you as they can be, their boosts won't be as great as yours are. How does the introduction of these new cruiser communication array abilities change gameplay for captains? Well, it means that, first of all, if you're going to be seeing a cruiser in your STFs, you're going to probably want to stick a little bit closer to them, because uh, as long as they're paying attention and using their command abilities, you're getting a little extra boost on your ship no matter what you do. Another important thing that it will bring to the table is if you're thinking about PvP gameplay, while you will be getting these boosts, it will be clumping you and your allies a little bit closer together in order to do so. So, uh might want to start worrying about seeing more scatter volleys coming off of escorts rather than just your rapid fires if they can hit everyone in that five kilometer radius a little bit more easily. Fascinating. Good point. Good point. So now let's get into the nitty gritty of planning for building this ship and your layout and your boss, perhaps maybe a little bit uh, on some of the equipment. First, captains, I want to point you to PriorityOnePodcast.com and the show notes for this episode, we will be including a Stow Academy skill builder export for you to use as reference for this build. Now, unfortunately, as of this recording, Stow Academy has not yet updated itself with the Avenger class ship, but we can use the Fleet Assault Cruiser refit as a guide. The only difference you're going to see is that one of your weapon slots goes from an aft weapon to being a four weapon, thanks to the 5-3 layout of the four weapons and aft weapons like you see on a scimitar. So be sure to follow the link in the show notes. Uh, you can import this file into the Stowe Academy Skill Planner and take a look at it for yourself. But let's give it a brief overview, shall we? Let's first talk about the actual powers. Well, what you're going to see on this ship is a great similarity to other Vice Admiral cruisers. You're going to have a Commander Engineering that you generally see on these cruisers. 
On the more tactically oriented cruisers, like the Assault Cruiser, you've got a Lieutenant Commander tactical slot and an Ensign tactical slot. You have a Lieutenant Sign slot and a Lieutenant Universal slot as well. So, Captains, we won't be going through each and every power for each and every bridge officer station. Uh, we encourage you to go ahead and download the skill planner that we're using on the fleet assault cruiser to just kind of get a base idea. In the meantime, though, let's go over some of the consoles and, and what you recommend are the best consoles for this ship. Well, it depends partially on how much your fleet has progressed. If you've been keeping up with your dilithium mine, around this point, if not earlier, you should have your hands on some of the dilithium mine engineering consoles. Well, You've got a couple of options here. If you want more turn, you can go with the RCS consoles that have half of a neutronium built into them. Or if you feel that you need a little bit more bulk to keep this slightly more fragile cruiser alive, the neutronium consoles with a little extra turn rate are just up your alley. For your science consoles, you're generally going to want to put in your universals because there aren't as many science consoles that you can take to great use on the ship. If you feel adamant about using science consoles, though, field generators never hurt for extra shield strength, or you can take advantage of some of your embassy's plasma-infused consoles to get that little extra bit of damage out with the four tactical consoles that your ship already has. For your tactical consoles, you may want to consider your fourth tactical console being a kinetic console rather than an energy console if you're going to take advantage of the quantum or chroniton versions of your VATA. Now, the ship only has a single science slot, correct? That's correct. If you're looking at the base version of the Battlecruiser, the one that you get out of the sea store, you're not looking at any sort of reduction in your damage capabilities because you're still looking at four tactical consoles. And the only thing that you lose out on, a little bit of hull, a little bit of shields, and one of your science consoles. Okay, but the fleet is definitely definitely the way to go. Well, I'm going to make the suggestion that I make for anyone that's playing this game and wants to buy fleet ships. If there's a version of the ship that you want to fly, and there's a fleet version of the ship, and you can get the discount on your fleet ship modules, if you're going to fly this ship on more than one captain... Go ahead, get the Sea Store version. You're going to be using less Zen on buying the ship and then one fleet module each for each of your captains, rather than the four that you would be using per character if you were to go and use it on more than one character. All right, now one of the things that uh, I've been hearing a lot of talk about is this auxiliary to bat build. What is this auxiliary to bat build? Let's talk about a very unremarkable skill. A skill that by itself means very little, unless you combine it with the right things. Auxiliary to Battery is an engineering skill that you start getting access to using your lieutenant powers, although you can slot a lieutenant commander or commander version of it, that effectively dumps all of your auxiliary power into your three other systems, that's weapons, shields, and engines. For this time, the auxiliary power systems are treated as disabled, and you can bring them back online with an auxiliary battery, not to be confused with the power auxiliary to battery, or anything else that brings your disabled systems back online. Now, auxiliary to battery, kind of boring on its own, but there is a duty officer that significantly affects what auxiliary to battery can do. Looking at technicians, you can get up to a purple quality of this officer, which gives you up to a 10% reduction in your cooldown time for all of your bridge officer abilities, including the use of auxiliary to battery itself. If you stack three of these technicians together, you're looking at a 30% cooldown rate on all of your abilities. If you're running auxiliary to battery on at least two of your lieutenant engineering stations or better, you're looking effectively at a global cooldown on all of your abilities being reduced to its global cooldown, or about 50% or better of your 
wait time, which means that you can run one ability rather than the two copies of an ability that you'd normally run. Ah, now that's interesting. Now, how well does the Avenger handle this build? Well, since the Avenger has at least the ability to slot two different Lieutenant Engineerings, if you make your Lieutenant Universal in Engineering, you're looking at a cruiser that can do quite a bit of damage. Combine this with the four tactical consoles that you have and the ability to slot direct energy modulation into your commander engineering slot, and you're looking at a pretty potent build. Now, let's talk about one other thing about your General Aux the Bat build. Now, there's a fourth duty officer, a very rare that comes out of the temporal lockboxes, Marion Francis Dulmer. And what this fellow does is he reduces your subsystem energy drain for your weapons for 8 seconds whenever you use direct energy modulation. So, not only are you getting the boost in penetration from your energy weapons when you use this power, but when you have this duty officer slotted, your weapons are drawing even less power than they were before, which means that your energy drain goes down a little bit less, which means that you're doing overall more damage per second. Well, Epsilon, I think that's a very good start and a very good foundation on setting up the Avenger just the way every captain wants to, and that's the best way. So, Epsilon, thank you so much for joining us again on this episode of Priority One Podcast and this episode's Field Notes segment. Captains, hopefully you enjoyed this introduction to the Avenger-class starship. We hope that you'll be flying it smarter and enjoy your gameplay with it. And as always, fly safely. Well, that wraps up Field Notes. Let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See? We are getting to know each other. Tawani writes in, great episode. But honestly, I was rolling on the floor with the little bloopers at the end. Listening at work and laughing does not make a great combo. Winky face. <laughs> that was an epic blooper reel last week. That was. Sean Newboy writes, excellent episode, guys. Loved the excerpts just as much as Tawani did. Mm-hmm. Elkanar writes in, I agree everything in the game should reward dilithium. Also, increase the number of things that reward reputation and fleet marks. There are too many currencies and too few ways to earn them. Ooh, yes, yes, yes. Revamp, revamp, revamp. The problem is, is that we've had like four revamps already. I really don't want another revamp unless it's like, can we just get it right? Good idea. Let's get it right. I like dilithium being, I like a timed currency. That's fine. That's cool. Uh, I, EC, eh, you know, I can live with it, live without it. But everything else is just like lobby crystals, this whole reputation. <sighs> Although I understand, I understand the goal for the reputation system. We've been promised a reputation change, and so I'm hoping that that's done as part of a larger economy rebalance. I don't know if you want to call it a revamp if you're tired of revamps. I would like Cryptic to send somebody into a tiny cubicle uh, with a big pair of headphones, noise-canceling headphones. And an abacus. And an abacus, yes, like two abacuses. And and then and say, come up with a Star Trek in-universe explanation for all these different stupid currencies and why we have to have them and then mush them all together into something that works. Oh, and by the way, the gold press latinum that we've had since like the first two months of the game that we've never used for anything. Mix all that back up together again and spit something out and we're going to we're going to round table this for about 3 months until it all works together and then it's going to be wonderful. Well, Mark agrees with you and he writes, "I agree, we need an economy revamp, but I think a far simpler way to fix the problem would be to give all marks a 2 to 1 exchange rate. Have too many Borg marks, change them out 2 to 1 for the Romulan marks you need." 
Of course, this would leave out Mark's four featured events like the Crystalline Entity and Summer Winter events. I also believe that Lobi should be at least purchasable with Elithium or Zen. And a more standard way to earn EC would be highly appreciated. EC should be rewarded for every mission completed, regardless of times completed, as a reward for spending the time on it. Well, but I mean, but the EC, you know, Dilithium is the time currency. And on featured events like the Crystal Entity, you don't get marks, you get uh, chunks of stuff like shells or shards or favors or whatever. I mean, but that in and of itself is a type of currency. I know. You earn that to- exactly. Exactly. And it's just, you know, and that's fine. If they want to have special currencies for special events, neat. But all the other stuff needs to be interchangeable. Lobby, dilithium, uh, fleet marks, reputation marks. I mean, we are supposed to be in a galactic economy, right? And I know the Federation is supposed to have money and all that kind of stuff. All right, fine. That's all fictional stuff. But in any economy... You have to have exchanges between the various currencies. Every economy has one. And for Star Trek to not have one, an easy way, even if it's a two-to-one ratio like Mark is suggesting, that's a, that's fine. That's a great example. I mean, that's exactly what happens in the real world. I have too many dollars. You have British pounds. I don't want my dollars. You re- you don't really want my dollars either, but you've got some pounds you're willing to give, you know, get rid of. You'll exchange them with me, but at a severe penalty. Okay. That's how the real world works. Let's do some of that. What does Nighthammer have to say? Nighthammer says, to be quite honest, I haven't really felt a change in the wind when it comes to my skill tray post-update. I do, however, completely understand why they did what they did, trying to level the playing field and have things make more sense in battle. However, like I said, didn't feel any great difference. I didn't either. My scatter volleys and my torpedo spread still worked fine. I didn't see any great complaints about it. Uh, maybe I just wasn't looking in the right place, but it seemed to me like they hit the mark on the tactical bridge officer change. The next person writing into us is Rob Ray 71 Greetings, Elijah, Tony, and James. Another awesome podcast. I'm still laughing hysterically from the How It Should Have Ended spoof. Laugh my A off at Alice Eve. Regarding the question of the week, what I get from the devlog is that we're somehow going to be catapulted across the galaxy to hit the danger zone, Dyson Sphere, that we all know is coming. I'd say it's also safe to guess that there will be another area similar to Battle Group Omega, where we may find the USS Callisto. More importantly, however, is that it seems as if the Delta Quadrant may open up a bit. However, as we move forward, I do see a couple of problems with Delta Quadrant content, and I'm curious to see how Cryptic will address the canon antagonists which dominate most of Voyager's timeline. I had to edit his uh, uh, post because it was it was pretty long and involved, but he goes on to make some excellent points about how the Voyager crew managed to whack most of the antagonists that came along or solve their problems or make them not a threat anymore or, you know, basically make them not antagonists. That could be a problem. But how could that, why would that be a problem? All of a sudden we don't have as many people that we have to blow up. Yeah, but it's a whole quadrant though, I mean. Right. But all the guys that we know from the IP, um, the Vidians had their disease cured, and the guy uh, the, in the Krenum who was like the inventor of the evil time ship, his wife is just fine. So I, it's kind of a problem. You know, the Voyager fixed a lot of the, pro- the, the conflicts that you find out there in the Delta Quadrant. So he had a good point. He goes on to thank us for the field notes segment with Pug01 regarding his bridge officers. He says he listened to it uh, four times just to make sure he didn't miss anything. But most importantly, I do want to thank Rob Ray, not just for submitting uh, feedback for last week's episode, 
but for doing a phenomenal job with the Priority One fleet, uh, this guy has taken the uh, the reins and has put together events and has been trying to rally the troops. So if you've been interested in, in being a part of the Priority One fleet and wearing the flag of Priority One over your head in-game, uh, Rob Ray is definitely the guy to see, or uh, Jeff, the fleet leader, uh, who's also done a significant amount of work, both for the fleet and for Priority One. Uh, thanks to Jeff, for instance, uh, we now have our new mail server through him. Uh, so if you're interested in joining the Priority One fleet, make sure to look for Rob Ray in-game or uh, Jeff McLeod. And we hear from Missourian Starter, who says, You guys understood my thoughts nicely. Yes, we can have casual gaming with the queues, but having some classic MMO dungeon raiding that lasts hours once in a while isn't a bad thing either. It builds teamwork and gets people to talk to one another during downtime. And this is what Stone needs to build upon once again. Not pugs going after loot, but teams of friends working toward a common goal for the fun of the game. Agreed. And he goes on to say, Oh, and for next week's broadcast, one word. Lego Prize. I completely agree 100% with Azurian Star. James seems to believe that I want the whole game to be freaking revamped into long, drown-out gaming sessions. But it's like, the moment I bring it up, he gets so defensive about, Oh, I have to go biking up the coast of Carolina, and I have to go to work, and I have time to spend. I, can't, I, don't, have, I don't have more than a half hour to play Star Trek Online. Boo-hoo-hoo. I don't care. What it boils down to is that there's going... Star Trek Online is a massively multiplayer online role-playing game, and really, the roles are vague. So... So we need to bring back the Holy Trinity in Star Trek Online, in this case, your science, your tech, and your engineer, to, f- to force gameplay. Yeah, force. I use the word force. For some to- either an accolade or just to have to complete a mission. I'm not saying every mission has to be like that, but I think that we need more of it. And like you said last week, it needs to cater to that type of player that wants to experience that, that immersion. You know, that MMO immersion. Not just Star Trek immersion, but MMO immersion. Right. And it needs to, you know, it's got to be some, it's got to be an event. It's got to be an experience. And that's really what's underserved here is that you can go in and there are plenty of players like James. Heck, my schedule is like James sometimes. Unfortunately, it's not nearly as fun as biking up the coast of California or anything like that. It's usually like um, my daughter has to help, I have to help my daughter find the monster under her bed and stuff like that. So, oh, I mean, you know, but I mean, and and I love my little girl, so I will find the monster under her bed. But my point is, is that a lot of people sympathize with James, including me. You you need to get on, you need to get off, earn your crystal shard or whatever flavor of the month thing you've got to have taking up your inventory or your reputation system, whatever. I get it. But there needs to be an event. There needs to be a, a Cadillac prize that you can only get by finding a team of five, ten people with a variety of different skill sets and a variety of different equipment and tackle a mission that's difficult and can only be completed if you have done the prep work. And that prep work is where you get the social aspect of the game. And yeah, it's not for everybody. The reason that James is so opposed to having to try to pug and find an engineer or a science is because nobody pays attention to zone chat. I don't. I really don't. I'm going to be honest. No. I, I turn it off. I no. I, I leave zone chat on just in case, just for that diamond in the rough, perhaps. You know, in in another MMO, you use zone chat to say, "Hey, I need you know, I need so and so for a mission to go somewhere here." Blah blah blah. And in most cases, in in most MMOs, you'll find that relatively quickly, relatively quickly. There's no need for me to have zone chat on because there's no mission or anything like that that requires me to go find a team. Right. Exactly. 
Exactly. I mean, I have a fleet that's on, and most evenings there are four or five people on, and if I wanted to do a fleet defense or something, I could get a team together like that. That's that's fine. i got the Priority One fleet that's on there, too, so I can combine the two groups of people that I know, and I can usually find somebody for a five-man team to go for 20 minutes. I don't ha- I mean, but if you want to have a long dungeon raid, you're going to have to talk to strangers. You're going to have to get into zone chat and say... My fleet doesn't have an engineer on right now. Or my fleet's engineer, uh, we need him to do the turret manufacturing. I need a guy that will do weapons malfunction to, you know, to do this one task that's in the game. I mean, that's what... Do I, that's missing. We need that. Well, Captains, we want to encourage you to continue to reach out to us. We are accessible to you via Twitter at, at STOPriority1. Uh, on Facebook facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast or via email incoming at priority one podcast.com you can also leave comments in the comment section for this episode on the priority one podcast.com website or for the forum post in this week's episode that wraps up episode 145 recorded live on trekradio.net remember we've moved our thursday night live recordings on trek radio to 10 p.m eastern 7 p.m pacific Captains, we're looking for new writers, bloggers, and a new audio engineer. If you're interested in joining our team, then send an email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. As you know, we love hearing from you, our loyal listeners. If you have a suggestion, idea, or topic for any of our segments, or if you have general feedback about this episode, our email address is incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. And as a matter of fact, all you people, we'll be posting a thread asking for your questions to ask STO lead designer Al, Captain Gecko, Titanium Ass Rivera. We're scheduled to interview him towards the end of the month, and we want to answer your burning questions. You'll have to follow us on Twitter or Facebook for a link to the thread. And just what are those links, Elijah Jamray? Well, you can stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. Head over to facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast and give us a like. Or you can check us out on Twitter via at STO Priority One. Priority One is brought to you by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please visit PriorityOnePodcast.com and find out how you can help support the show. Just look for the big meter on the side of our homepage and you can check our progress, your progress, on helping us out. Thanks to everyone who's already donated and continues to support the show. Also, don't forget to support a friend of Priority One Podcast. Check out Splatter Studios' Trek-inspired canvas art by visiting their eBay auction for an Ambassador-class Starship splatter painting or a three-piece Bird of Prey versus Galaxy-class Starship. It's a beautiful, beautiful piece. I encourage you to to, uh, check it out. It's actual paint on canvas. It's not a print or a reprint. If this auction goes well, you'll see many, many more. Thanks to the entire team behind PriorityOnePodcast.com. Thanks to our composer of our theme music, Chris Watts, and our syndication partners, Subspace Radio, Blackstar Radio, and Trek Radio. Special thanks to our sponsor, Sayulita.com. But most importantly, thanks to you, the Stowe community, and our listeners. Without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage.
danger zone. That one's from the blooper reel. Elijah 3, or introduction 3, 2, it all starts with Elijah. <laughs> Every week it starts with Elijah and ends with Elijah. And there's a bunch of Elijah in the middle. I'm Elijah. I'm Tony. Hey, Tony. Hey. All right, let's get this. <laughs> That's not in the script. I'll try that again. Hey, Tony. What do you want me to say after you say hey, Tony? I don't know. Say something like, hey, Elijah. Uh, I don't know, okay. whatever. <laughs> I could say, that was good radio, and then move on from there. This week we trek out one or two. Wait, I got to no, oh, oh, you gotta say. No, I got to okay. say. All right. Hey, Tony. Hey, Elijah. What do we have this week? <laughs> it looks gorgeous, and we were talking about this last week. I'm really looking forward to uh, getting my ship inside a Dyson Sphere. I'm glad someone caught that. <laughs> I didn't catch it. What would you say? Uh, I said getting my Dyson my ship in a Dyson Sphere. <laughs> That's the newest euphemism. <laughs> well, you see, Elijah, the the refractoring ferambulators on deck 27 uh, interface with the uh, gravitic uh, compensators on deck 14 in a, uh, uh, yeah, not, who cares? It looks mean. It looks like a warthog. I'm calling it the warthog. Actually, let's pull up that tweet. I want to pull up that tweet and, and talk about it. Hey, everyone. I'm going to talk into the microphone while Elijah pulls up a tweet. That's right. This is Tony's pulling up a tweet time with Elijah. And Elijah's tweeting. All right. Well, that wraps up Star Trek Online news for this week. Let's go ahead and give a hard shakedown. <laughs> I don't know how Ooh. I want to say this. Give a hard hey. shakedown. That one's for the blooper reel. Winky face. <laughs> that was an epic blooper reel last week. That was. It that was. was a good, good epic blooper reel. And that little thing right there is going to make the blooper reel. Boop, booper reel? Boop, 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 epic, epic blooper reel. The epic blooper reel. Right. But all the guys that we know from the IP, um, the Vidians had their disease cured, and the guy uh, the, in the Krenum who was like the inventor of the evil time ship, um, his wife was just fine, and he was working in We're a coming to stow, you dumbass! Well, <laughs> 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 you dumbass! <laughs> well, somebody, somebody on the forum has that signature. Yeah, I know. I had it. We had it on the show. I like I put it in our show notes one week. Yeah, of you, red. You <laughs> dumbass. Coming to Star Trek Online, you dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that's a problem, though. He's not mean anymore. He's not red. He's all happy right. now. His wife is still alive, and he's hanging out in his study. I, I didn't like it when you said it the first time or the second time. I'm probably not going to like it when you say it the third time. I added something. <laughs> do you want me to read what you wrote? Because well, I don't think like you that. do. No, not like that. Because <laughs> what he wrote is, thanks, everyone, blah, no! blah. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I think terrible. what he means is, Tony, I want you to ad-lib something that expresses our love and appreciation to everyone who helps Keep You're the horrible. show rolling. I think that's what he really wanted me to say. Isn't that what you wanted me to say? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I know, but it's so fun. Yes, it was. Everyone knows we love them. It's just funny when you just go, yeah, yeah, we love them. It's just, yeah, tell them we love them. I lied. I loved the third one. Really did. It was so good. <laughs>